0: On today's episode, we're talking masculinity with Eamon Ismail, staff writer at Slate and host of Man Up. This is class, And this is Mecca. You're listening to Identity Politics, a podcast on race, gender, and Muslims in America.
1: Mecca, tell the people where they can find us. You can find us wherever you like to listen to your podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Acast. You can also find us online at identitypoliticspod.com, on Twitter at identitypolpod, and on facebook.com slash identitypolitics.
0: And remember, if you like what you hear, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts.
1: On today's show, uh, before we get into our interview with Ayman Ismail, we are actually blessed, very blessed to have a very special guest. He happens to be the only man I've ever let into my house (laughs) that I have willingly shared a home with and a life with. Of course, I'm talking about my dear husband, Rizwan Akhtar. (laughs) Riz, welcome to the show.
2: It's an honor to be in this house. Thank you. Uh, number one podcast. So I appreciate it. Thanks. <laughs>
1: um, well, let's jump right into our conversation. So obviously we all are aware that example after example keeps popping up about ways in which men have harmed women. Um, I, you know, am in conversation with women all the time in which we talk about. It feels like the path to power for every man is littered with women that they have harmed. And women that I've been in relationship with, we're constantly reflecting about this. We're constantly reflecting about what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a woman in this world, the frustrations, the joys, everything in between. And I'm not sure that men are engaged in the same types of conversations. So I know you are involved in something called men's group. And I want to get into that a little bit. But from your perspective, Do you feel like men are engaged in these same types of reflective conversations? Uh, Why or why not?
2: I think they're engaged at a fraction um, of the amount that women are engaged in this conversation, as well as a, a fraction of the amount that women engage men in these conversations. I'm just getting angry and, frankly, embarrassed as well, just in this moment, thinking about how rarely men start conversations with other men about the abuses that men hold um you know so so often when we deal with um power abuses in society sexual abuses in society we will open up conversations um, that that women start um, about the need for men to create more space the meet the need for men to um you know enter into more uh, equitable relationships, the need for men to to listen to women more. But so rarely is there a call for men to talk to one another, uh, confess and confront to one another, um, and actually deal with our stuff. And um, that needs to change that that has to start. and so that that is one of the reasons. Uh, why me and some friends we started men's group to to try to do that
1: so can you talk more about what men's group is like how does it actually work
2: a good example is our very first men's group uh, we got together uh, in my home it was it's a mo- mostly friends of ours because we felt very uh, you know in need of having a safe space um, friends of ours who you know we already have some relationship with and we honestly opened up with one check-in question, which was, "What does it mean to you to be a man?" And when we gathered that day, we could not stop talking. Uh, we literally had to like force an end to the conversation in order to like you know return back to our wives. Um, but you know, so that that really set the stage for like how much there is to just process from a gendered lens for us as men. And so very often it starts. Men's group starts with a check-in question of how we're doing. Um, perhaps sometimes there's a specific topic, whether it's um, mental health, sexuality, uh, gender roles, communication. Uh, but oftentimes it's just a check-in and we're trying to just support each other uh, on our journeys to become better men, better partners, and just navigate um, navigate the world as we're trying to unlearn a lot uh, as we're growing up.
1: So far, do you feel like this space has impacted you? And if so, like what has been the impact? I mean, you mentioned that you have learned from your sisters, you've learned from having a wife. Um, I think of all of the men in my life, I I think you're also someone who uh, does take women seriously and and from my perspective, always has. So what has this space been able to provide that's been unique to your own learning journey?
2: It has been a place for me for vulnerability and confession to be honest um i've been thinking a lot about this quote um from uh, ibram kendi who talks about racism actually who talks about how racism like the heartbeat of uh racism is denial and the heartbeat of anti-racism is confession and I, and I look at thinking about that, that quote and applying that to that lens here in men's group. There is just so often times in, which, in men's group where, you know, we thought we were this type of man. We thought we were um, more equitable in our roles. We, we just, you know, have these images of who we are. And then a lot of times in men's group, it's kind of just like coming to terms with like who maybe we really are. Um, who we are underneath. Um, and so I think it's provided me a much safer space to kind of uncover, um, you know, perhaps like, you know, why um, why certain things intimidate me, uh, wh- maybe why uh, certain things uh, cause me stress or how I react to, to things within our partnership.
1: Yeah, I want to pick up on that a little bit because I recall before uh, we were together, often being told that the way I existed was like, not gonna get me no man, you know? Like that I was too independent, I was too opinionated, I was too strong-willed, and I know that a lot of my other female friends who are not yet partnered often get the same thing, that like, you're too this, you're too that, you're too picky, you want too much, you're too unforgiving. Um, And I want to know from your perspective, like, does this perception hold weight? Like, is it more challenging to be in relationship, whether that's professional, personal, romantic, with strong and opinionated women who are going to hold you accountable? Like, is that something that men want?
2: I think it's something that men may want in theory. I think especially men that uh, you know, consider themselves, I keep using this phrase as sort of like, quote, like good guys, right? Like, I think that there, there are men that hold these narratives in, in their heads in terms of, you know, being in an equal relationship and an equitable relationship. Um, But it's very different to be that in practice. And so, you know, I remember, you know, there, I think, you know, we've talked about how, you know, when I had to come to terms with realizing you know way before you know we got married way before we were together um there were things about you that um maybe i was intimidated by and when i realized that those were the things that i also admired in you i realized that there that was something i needed to unpack um uh, whether it was uh, how outspoken you are um how uh, bold, uh, hilarious, and funny. <laughs> so wait, are
1: you telling our listeners that you were intimidated by me or are still intimidated by me? Where do we stand on that?
2: I, no, I, I, I was. I was. Um, certainly, because I think that there's, you know, d- despite w- wanting to to be in uh, an equal relationship, um, there's still some type of like, uh, it's almost as if like, I, I expected to be, uh, appreciated for that. Um, and so, uh, but to realize that, oh no, actually that means accountability. Uh, that means change. That means commitment to being who uh, I aspire to be. That's, it's not just uh, affirmation. Um, uh, and that was, you know, more challenging. Um, you know, that's, that's where like the, the change started to happen. And that, that's where men's groups started to come in because, you know, I was, uh, you know, uh, in this group of men and we kind of, you know, just, we joke around with each other that like in the, in our relationships, we tend to be the, the softer ones. (laughs) And I mean that, you know, not, not in a negative way, but in, in a way that like, it's, it's hard for us. It's not the norm. Uh, for men to be like talking openly about our emotions. And, and so this is what gets me um, just so intrigued about men's group. We're literally a group of friends. We are friends. But it takes us setting up a safe space with norms, with so much intentionality in order to just talk to each other openly. Um, conversations that I think women may have um, a lot more easily, uh, a lot more frequently, casually, uh, but for us as men, like require a level of of a safe space in order to get to um, challenges, mental health, um, things that just like help us be a lot more whole. Um, and for me, you know, it was around the time that you know we were getting married, so it was it was big for me in order to to become a more whole person to enter into uh, our partnership.
1: Last question, as we wrap up here, do you have any advice for our hashtag random male listeners? Um, on how they can deal with their own insecurities or toxic masculinities um in ways that are productive and healthy like how do we get more good guys seeing that type of allyship as a verb and not just as like a point and a point of being (laughs) um that it's something that you have to work on and and prove and and sometimes be called out on a little bit um so how would anyone who maybe hasn't engaged in this type of reflection or space get started
2: for random male listeners I think for anything that makes you feel defensive, uh, follow down that path. Um, whether it's a comment that makes your heart start racing a bit more about who you thought you were, who you want to be, um, follow that thought. I think also, you know, don't wait to ask yourselves, like, what does it mean to be a man? What does masculinity mean to you? What does manhood mean to you? Um, and, and start that conversation with a friend. I think that there there have been other times in my life where I'm, like, so in, interested to share something that I think, you know, a gift I may have, like, with, like, the wider community and try to bring people together in a community. Um, but I think, uh, you know, with men's group, we've kept it among friends um, because there's just uh, so much to explore just among uh, the people here, uh, the people that are already close to you. There's just so much to explore as as men. Um, and then lastly, I would say, uh, read women's voices, uh, check out this podcast and also just like continued shout outs to Rebecca Traster. <laughs> I'm on my second Rebecca Traster book right now. And I just, I learned so much from her. Um, uh, all the single ladies, uh, was great before, uh, getting married and kind of realizing, uh, the role of marriage and in, in women's, uh, history as well as as just the role of emotions and, and anger and good and mad. So I just shout out to that.
1: Thanks, Riz. Always a pleasure to have you.
2: Cool. Thanks.
1: We're super pleased to have awesome guests on the show today, Ayman Ismail. He is journalist with Slate, host of the Man Up Podcast. Welcome to the show.
3: Whoa, super pleased. <laughs> you say that to all the guests?
0: You know, not um, all. we kinda world. do. <laughs> oh. I was like, I think we do.
1: What's the truth?
0: Yeah. I'm super
3: no, duper seriously. pleased to be on this show.
1: <laughs> it's great to have you on. Yeah, You know, obviously our show, we talk a lot about gender, but we are two women. And so that is a very particular perspective that we have just about our own struggles um, as it relates to careers or family or relationships, et cetera. So your podcast has been a breath of fresh air and I think filled a much needed void in male voices kind of talking about and grappling with their own understanding of gender and and masculinity. So but as we get into our conversation, <laughs> I did want to ask, you know, I I realized that you made a creative choice in this show to not just talk about masculinity, but you've actually inserted yourself into the conversations, like your own learnings, your own flaws, and that's even like a part of the subject of the show. So why did you choose to publicly center your own learning? instead of taking a more distant, like, journalistic approach to these topics?
3: Ooh, really good question. I think the reason that I'm, like, doing it this way is because that's just my personality. I mean, uh, I was doing a video series before this called Who's Afraid of Ayman Ismail, where I was, like, interrogating all the myths about being an American Muslim. And it was kind of, like, in the same format, where I was just expressing my doubts my fears my uh my questions and then trying to seek out those answers so i feel like this is kind of taking the same approach where i have a lot of questions about masculinity and when manhood starts and what a man should and shouldn't be doing um and i'm just really honestly just trying to figure it out this, this is not a I, what i'm doing is not an advice show i'm not trying to instruct people how to behave I'm not trying to lay out the blueprint for the for the proper man or anything like that what I'm really trying to do is I'm trying to uh, interrogate really where would these ideas come from in the first place and how they've affected our lives and another thing that I found to be really uh, really useful in my journalism is expressing a certain amount of vulnerability right when you be, are vulnerable yourself what you're doing is you're allowing the person that you're communicating with to be vulnerable themselves and not feel like they're going to be judged for maybe sharing something that they've never shared before and on a show like this you know this is going on the internet mm-hmm. like everything on the internet is going to be there forever <laughs> yes. yeah. so one of the things that i try and do is at f- first express uh express to my guests that you know this is going to live forever. Don't share anything that you don't want to share. But also I want to encourage them to share something that I think will make other people who are listening maybe be more vulnerable with themselves. Yeah. And by when when everyone's being vulnerable, then I think we can be more honest with each other. And that's always the goal.
1: I also feel like objectivity just like as a concept is My own personal opinion is a white supremacist construct.
3: (laughs) It doesn't (laughs) exist. There's no such thing. Journalism
1: always, like whoever is telling the story is telling it from their perspective and with their own like blinders up. But some people are just better at owning that or not. And of course, when you're a person of color, as you're a Muslim, like you're wearing that on display in a way that I feel like white journalists don't, even though their identities are definitely impacting the way they cover these topics. So I just, I think
3: that's- Facts. That's so true. And also as a journalist- you can say that you're not being biased because you only asked neutral questions and they were carefully thought out and meant not to lean any one which way or we're doing both sides or whatever. When you're choosing people to talk to, that's bias. You're, you're, intro- yeah, you're introducing sure. what you think you already know into the story just by deciding who you pick to talk to. Definitely.
0: So you mentioned how you present some vulnerabilities to your guests opening up a space for your guests to also be vulnerable. But I'm thinking, what else do you need to build a space for men to go like deeper without triggering defensiveness or having them shut down? I think the conversations you're having Women are more inclined to have just because women, Mm -hmm. we've been able to create a space more to have these conversations that can often be like emotionally draining or, you know, just really tough and difficult to have. And I know my husband often talks about, like, oh, you have so many spaces, you know, (laughs) where you can share and have conversations with your friends, but there aren't that many spaces built up for men to do this. So, what do you think is needed in order to create more spaces to have these conversations?
3: Yo, I think this is changing fast. Because you could just Google, like, men's storytelling spaces, at least in New York City. I don't know how it is in, in Chicago, but, like, yo, they're really out there. Like, they're, they're having shows, like, every week. It's kind of amazing. So I think, you know, 2019 is a really awesome time uh, to want to be this, like, vulnerable guy who is admittedly not perfect. I think, uh, like what you were describing, is true that there is, at least I can speak for myself, there's something within me that wants to project this perfection, and a lot of it comes from ego. I have always felt like if I'm not putting on the best version of myself, my weaknesses are going to become exploited, right? Whether or not that's like on the playground or when you're trying to like mac it with a girl that you like, or all these different things, you want to be perfect so that they can think you're perfect. And I think. Uh, when I'm like when I'm with my guy friends, we all kind of do that with each other. We all try and project this version of ourselves that's infallible, that's funny, that's smart, that's charming. And you know, dealing with the fa- like accepting the fact that you might not be could be hard because for for some of us, that's the first time we've ever had to. You know, it, it, being a guy in America is a very or pretty much everywhere is a very privileged status to have. And so because you're rarely ch- challenged as a child and as a teenager, and for a lot of people, for, for an adult, you still become rarely ch- challenged, it becomes twice as hard to challenge yourself.
1: So in thinking about challenging yourself, something that I know, I'm just going to be real, is is a little bit frustrating for me is I feel like. The conversations that women have and the ways in which we are required to kind of develop emotionally, like that is not the same thing that's demanded like of men. And I found that specifically in the context of romantic relationships, like women are doing a lot of that emotional labor to kind of like get guys caught up. So my question is, what role do you feel like your marriage play for you in pushing you to ask yourself deeper questions and and challenge yourself to really think about what it means to be a man?
3: Ooh, damn. How do you just know <laughs> the questions to ask? <laughs> we,
1: we've done uh, it a few times. All right. <laughs> all right. Gosh,
3: to shout out my beautiful, perfect wife. If, if, when we're talking about perfection, I'm going to say <laughs> uh, my wife uh, is perfect. That's uh, always her a great answer. answer. <laughs> uh, she really is. Her name is Mira Abul'Aiz. She's a religious chaplain. I'm, I consider myself to be a very religious Muslim and I credit that wholly to her. She just you know, where is it so cool, <laughs> and really brought Man, me back you're to the. You getting so to many bonus right? She's dope. She really is. Um, so the thing about Mita in particular is that she's just really real, right? She's like a no bullshit kind of girl. She sees through all the kinds of fake shit that you try and like put in front of her, and. um, She's brutally honest and it's it's been like really helpful. So you know how like lately call out culture has been really important in getting men to acknowledge mm-hmm. the fact that they might yeah. be, you know, um, not exactly how they see themselves in public. <laughs> so I got that really early on. Um, I met my wife like four years ago now uh, for the first time and immediately... I was like left thinking about who I really was. It, it, I think it all boiled down to the fact that I asked her for her number and she was like, "No." And I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> that's 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 different." Like, wh- why? I'm
1: for her, you gotta work for that. <laughs>
3: she really made me work for it, and that I think that was one of the reasons that I became so introspective. You know, I was like, "Is it? Do I smell bad? Am, is my style not like fresh enough? Like, am like what is it about me that turned her off?" and she was so open with having those conversations and so generous with her time to like actually walk me through it that mm-hmm. it was one of it was one of the very first reasons that I had to want to become a better man which is kind of embarrassing to be honest because I'm like in my 20s like do I really need someone to come in and say yo Clean up your beard. It's looking scraggly. Uh, but <laughs> Yo, I
1: know dudes in like their fifties that need that talk. So that could have been me. <laughs> that could have been me. You're getting it early.
3: <laughs> so that was that was essential, I think. Um yeah, and if Mita, you're listening, you're hella dope. It's just true.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting though that you're saying, Do I like really need someone to come in and tell me about my beard during my twenties? But I think that marriage is an amazing space to learn about yourself because I'm like, I definitely needed someone to come in in my 20s and like check me on a bunch of things, you know? (laughs) Like what? (laughs) Can you share something? (laughs) Like what? Like I was like a really selfish person and I don't think the extent, I realize the extent to which I was selfish until I was in a marriage and it's like oh wow like you won't even do some of these things for your husband like just because you don't feel like it (laughs) Mm. um and like having someone be a mirror for me was like very eye-opening into like characteristics about myself that I didn't like, but that I didn't take the time to like analyze, or I didn't have someone who was willing to be so honest with me, right? Because they weren't seeing me day in and day out, um, right. where, you know, you would want to draw that out. So it's just thinking about, you know, how through marriage, you learn different aspects of what it means to be a man, what role like, do you think women play in like the development of men is I know a lot of women are like I'm not trying to do that work like (laughs) you need to like upgrade yourself and then like come to me so what have you learned about like what it means to be a woman in your work and discovering what it means to be a man
3: um I've heard a lot so on the show Men up I don't only talk to men it's not like a men's therapy podcast I'm also talking (laughs) to women I'm really trying to find out where these ideas originate from and there was a new episode that dropped today. Plug, plug. Uh, oh, I got to listen to it. <laughs> it's about who pays for the bill after Ooh. a date, right? Yes. And so I, I had to like share an embarrassing story. I was like, yo, I've I've actually accidentally stolen a date's credit card once before <laughs> because I was trying to be smooth. I um, <laughs> She like put her credit card down and I took it out real sneakily like when I said, oh, we'll split it. And uh, I forgot (laughs) that I had it in my pocket. (laughs) Anyways, um, yeah, it's – so the things that I've heard throughout working on this podcast are, uh, you know, some women feel like when they're in a relationship with a man that the man expects them to be their maid and their therapist – and they I tend to. I literally was
0: just saying that yesterday to my husband. That,
3: see, like I think it's kind of problematic the fact that it's so widespread. You know that that sucks, and I yeah. think it's kind of humiliating to to know that that so many women are kind of dealing with the same issue that men aren't just taking care of themselves. And I think one of the the reasons why I'm so interested in how men can make themselves better and more conscious of themselves to kind of shoulder some of that responsibility. And so, right, i got to stay focused on the question, sorry. Um, yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah, so, yeah, I've learned that it could be really frustrating. Sometimes it feels like we're, we're talking different languages. We have different priorities and different expectations of each other. Uh, I'm generalizing like hell, so if you're listening and this doesn't apply to you, sorry. But this is just from, uh, from what I've learned from doing this show. And one of the things that I've, I've learned from talking to women on the show is that the fact that they don't really don't want to be doing the work and they're not wrong for, for feeling that way. It's a lot of work. There's a lot of healing and there's a lot of trauma that we all kind of need to work through, men and women. So I feel like it's unfair for women to have to deal with their trauma and their man's trauma at the same time. It's really complicated. It's unfair. And a lot of times it's not productive. We kind of need people to take care of themselves. And that's why I called the show Man Up to begin with because it's about accountability. Mm. It's about uh, wanting to step up and get to that next level. And it's a term that I've usually heard in my lifetime that's sort of been demeaning, right? Like if I got hurt playing football because someone stepped on my hand with cleats and my hand got cut open, you know, the coach is telling me to man up and get back on the field, you know? Uh, Or if I'm like heartbroken because... You know, I got heartbroken because I was, like, really interested in a girl who wasn't interested in me, which happens a lot. Uh, yeah, that, that I'm also told by my friends, like, yo, man up. Mm-hmm. Like, don't, don't put it on a pedestal. And so I think there's a lot of value to wanting to grow up and become the more mature version of yourself. And I'm trying to, like, take back that term and turn it into something that we can use to empower. Totally. Men.
1: I think that's really important because as Ikhlas mentioned, and we talk a lot as in our friendship and on the show about, is that like, yeah, marriage is a catalyst for growth. Friendships are a catalyst for growth. Just sort of that accountability.
3: Yeah, they, they call it the marriage glow <laughs> yeah.
1: right? That accountability. <laughs> I have not used say, that, but, but I like um, it. <laughs> but it's, it's really important. And I think we can accomplish more together than we might be able to just sort of like in our own individual worlds. But of course, like when it's gendered and we're actually thinking about like, where the work falls, that can be really frustrating, but it's also necessary, right? Like is the answer that we leave men to their own devices to figure out and define like what being a good partner and person like looks like, or should our feedback and thoughts like be taken into account? So that's something I personally struggle with is just like how to bring people along Mm -hmm. on the journey, because I think that exchange is necessary. And I think that awareness of how your perceptions, how your um, biases and how your attitudes impact me, yeah, like yeah. that's a conversation we need to have, even though yes, the onus is absolutely on me to like, facilitate those conversations in a way where you can actually hear me. But I also think, you know, yeah, thinking yeah. about this term, absolutely. like man up, you've talked a lot about sort of, unlearning harmful ideas or unpacking where we learn about what it means to be a man. But I'm curious about the positive lessons that you've learned about masculinity. So if you could come up with a new definition of what it means to be a man, how would you define it?
3: Damn, I can't believe (laughs) I've never thought about that. Um, Okay, if I can come up with a new definition for being a man... I would just say it's someone who's accountable, right? Who's not afraid of consequences. Someone who is careful with how they behave because they acknowledge their privilege and acknowledge that their size difference has like an effect on people, you know? And so... It's it's not just like manning up, wanting to be tough and make money and and provide like that could be part of your motivation. There's nothing wrong with that, um, but it's also wanting to be emotionally available for those people that you want to take care of. It's also wanting to be emotionally available for yourself and wanting to help yourself become more stable and more capable of communicating because that's really how we. How people experience us is how we we communicate to them, and so I mean I'm I'm projecting everything that I've been <laughs> feeling onto this answer, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it's one of the things that I've learned the most. It's it's the fact that you know, especially through Islam, I've I've understood the importance of intention, but even in Islam, it's nayah and also al ifad, like what you physically do. You all mm-hmm. have to be accountable for both, and so. It's it's kind of like a it's, – it's about understanding and learning that even if you have the best of intentions and even if you don't see yourself as a bad person or a bad man, you still have mm. the potential to hurt people in ways that you didn't foresee. And that's – it's not mm. fine, but also ignoring it isn't fine. Mm-hmm. So we need to find – well, I needed to find a way to – accept the fact that I might not have been the best man throughout my entire life and holding myself accountable for that you know and yeah. um, I, I, I promised myself I wasn't going to be like a sheikh but um,
0: <laughs> go for it the,
3: one, of the things, <laughs> one of the things that I loved about jihad is the greater jihad, right? The jihad and nefs. So it's already baked mm-hmm. into my religion, this desire to want to be the better version of yourself and, and stripping away your ego and really accepting the consequences of all of your actions, good and bad. Like that to me makes you a better person. And that's something that I've been influenced by, uh, by my dean, but also by my experience in producing the show. I'm doing it, aren't I? I'm, like, trying to sell you on some ideas.
0: (laughs) No, no, I definitely am agreeing, like, Jihad al-Akbar. Like, it is. As you were saying this pertaining to masculinity, I'm Mm -hmm. thinking this same applies to, like, womanhood, like, right, of accountability, of intentions, of being able to accept the consequences and, you know, repair yourself through that to really work on stripping the ego. So, you're doing it within the context of masculinity, but I'm like, literally everyone needs to do this. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, I I didn't apologize to that uh, woman for stealing her credit card. And that's just something I have to live with. I just kind of yeah. like gave it back to her. I was like, oh, I was trying to be nice. But that yes. doesn't necessarily matter if, you know, it's had a negative consequence.
0: Yes. So in addition to what you've been saying, how has your identity as a Muslim you know, influenced your work on masculinity and manhood, how you produced the show?
3: Uh, It's had a, I mean, enormous effect, I think. Um, Yeah, religion is one of those things you really can't separate from everything. Um, I know (laughs) everyone's like really trying to be like the – like. I don't know, the tolerable Muslim, yeah. right? The moderate Muslim. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very much against that. I think um being a good Muslim yeah. has the capacity to make you a better American and a better neighbor, and that's something that we we can can all embrace. Yeah. Um and that's something that I've been trying to embrace. So yeah, Islam has had a, a huge effect on my on my journalism as a whole. It's it's really stripped away my my ego, the more I've like studied it and the more I've tried to understand Islam, the smaller I feel. And that's good, I think. Like every time yeah. <laughs> you say Allahu Akbar, what does that mean, right? Yeah. God is greater. God is the greatest. So greatest. Um, mm-hmm. no matter how you feel, no matter what your successes are, or I keep saying you, but what I'm really saying is me. No matter how, how big I feel, God is always greater. Mm-hmm. Everything is coming from that. And so... You know, my whole project has all been about trying to strip away my ego and seeing what's left and trying to work through that in a public way, hoping to inspire people who are listening to do the same or make them feel comfortable with, with knowing that you can still, you know, be comfortable in your masculinity while also accepting your faults and and wanting to work on that makes you, if anything, more desirable to your friends and your loved ones. Like, that's cool. Uh so religion was, I don't think this would have been possible without me first meeting Mira, my my wife, and her encouraging me to reread the Quran uh, so that I can, you know, understand it as an adult instead of as a kid, yeah. instead of focusing so on different. like <laughs> what hell feels like I was focused on how Islam could help me you know, live in this, on this Absolutely. earth.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I think that's so important. You just like summed up so much of the work that I think we all do in this very public storytelling space where we're trying to take the best of what we know and what we've been taught and help use that to make sense of the world around us instead of the other way around when you're trying to like yes. fit religion <laughs> into this world. Um, it's very different than fitting the world into like the religion. Um, so I appreciate your
3: reflections yeah. on that. It's kind of corny. No, but it's, I know.
1: Um so as we wind down um I do have you know a very biased question so I probably should have started this interview by disclosing that I I really don't like men <laughs>
3: wow yeah she's
1: like said this
0: yeah, on several
1: occasions it's, it's really bad like i you know those girls that are like i never really have girlfriends bad. like i'm the opposite like i have always had girlfriends i went to a women's college like i pretty much really limit the amount of interactions like i have to have it's been very difficult and honestly like listen to your show sometimes i'm just like ah because like the conversations you guys are having are real and and you know people are actually saying i struggle with this you know you're saying i struggle with this you're Really, in a public yeah, way, yeah. saying this is how I grew up, thinking about fighting or intimacy, or you know, the the conversation around like personal appearance, or even the birth control conversation. Like all of those were really difficult yeah. for me to listen to.
3: I've had a few uh, people write hate articles about me already.
1: <laughs> yeah, and like on oh, wow. Jezebel,
3: they were like, "Yo, this guy is so." Uh, I don't know. I don't remember the adjective, but you no, know, but
1: it's like these conversations, yeah. like the learning that you're having in public is, is important. And like, that's why I keep listening because I'm like, I have to know where people are coming from. And it's like, I'm married. So I have, you know, that convert these conversations in my own household, but for, but for people who are interested in getting married and actually knowing what you're getting into and then the type of things that you may need to grapple with, with another person that you haven't. Um, But my question for you is, you know, let's be real, your gender does not have the best track record in its uh, reflection (laughs) and and treatment of women and others. And so why do you think women should continue to give men a chance? Like, I hear so many women ask, like, why should I even try? Like, they're all terrible. They all (laughs) don't understand. Like, they're starting from such a, like, different place. But from your perspective, like, why should we keep at it? And of course, I'm speaking specifically about like heterosexual women <laughs> um,
3: in this Yeah. Aspect. Yeah. But yeah. What are
1: What are your thoughts on that?
3: Um. Do they have to? <laughs> I mean. Again, I'm, I'm harkening back answer. to like my experience. You know, um, the fact that Mira, when I met her was so reluctant to give me a chance that was kind of a wake-up call for me um it was very much a love at first sight situation for me where I was like this is this is it like she's sexy she's smart she's my parents are gonna love her because how religious she is like she was (laughs) like I just decided I was like this is it like I'm gonna make my move and like after the first day of hanging out with her I was like yo i I really like you. Like I, I could see us going all the way, girl. Like I was really trying, and she was like, "No, like who do you think you are?" I love it. And um, that's that. That night was that sucked for me. I was kind of like really, like upset. I was like, "What? What about me? Could I have changed so that?" I could be desirable to this Mm -hmm. one woman. Like all I want in the world is for this one woman to be, uh, is to like me and to want me. And, you know, that was kind of like exactly the push that I needed to really take Mm -hmm. a hard look in the mirror. And one of the first things I had to do was find a mirror. because I don't even have one at that time, you know? (laughs) Uh, so that's what I'm saying. That's what what I'm saying. (laughs) <laughs> that was my Jehileia, yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> and so yeah that was like really really important for me I think in my journey was recognizing the fact that my br- my privilege can only take me so far and I needed to work for the rest and you know I think every man is aware of the fact that they have a privilege and a lot of us depend on it without necessarily consciously mm-hmm. deciding to do so and you know, the journey needs to start with like finding out where that privilege has its shortcomings, you know? Um, and so I think every time that challenge happens, every man has a choice that they have to make. They can either double down, defend the ego and just like build a wall and continue to, to, to lock away their emotions and, and refuse to accept the fact that they are humans and humans feel, or, they can, you know, choose to be better. And it takes a lot of courage to be better. And that's another thing that I learned is it's not easier. It's not easier to lock away your feelings. It's harder. Um, and once I learned that, then it kind of became a challenge for me. And then I was able to access all of the things I learned about growing up a kid in in like the hood of New Jersey and applying all of what I learned, you know, on the playground and in sports and sports. We don't really have bullies, then we had gangs. But we just learning everything I learned from that period of my life to wanting to become a better man and wanting to be the best version of myself. And once that transition happened, then it was like, okay, I need to, I need to prove to this woman that I can be a good enough man for her. And I think if enough men ask themselves that question, we're all better off.
1: Seriously, I think, yeah, if people, if so many people want partnership and so many people want relationships, I think far fewer people ask themselves, like, am I in a, am I in a position? Am I the kind of person that like I would want to be with, let alone that like someone else like would want to be with. And so sort of using that as a, a jumping off point for your own personal growth, I think is, is really important.
3: Yeah. And men are capable. Like they, they know how to work through conflict when it's at their job. You know, say they didn't get that raise, they're going to focus. They're going to really want to get that raise. And if that motivation exists, it's going to happen. And if they apply that to wanting to make themselves better, oh, my God. Imagine. Yeah. man.
0: so we've had a wonderful conversation. We've talked a lot about your podcast, Man Up.
3: Where can people find you and more of your work? Uh, They can find me at slate.com slash man up or slate.com slash Amen. If you're interested in the Muslim stuff or, or you can go to Amen.com. It's spelled A Y M A N N and everything's up on that. awesome Y'all are amazing though. This is really, really fun. Asking the (laughs) right questions.
1: Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners while we still have you on?
3: Yeah. Subscribe to Identity politics. The show's going <laughs> <Yeah>. places. <laughs>
0: yes, you've heard it here. Follow them on we Twitter. Got an endorsement.
3: <laughs> Leave comments. Because seriously, like the economy that we're working in right now is clicks and subscriptions and plays yes, and downloads. It really is. So if you support, so show your support. Download Identity Politics. Even if you've already heard it, do it all.
0: <laughs> Just keep doing it.
3: Yeah. I
1: love it. Thank you <laughs> so Thank you so so much, so, so much. On.
3: Thank you guys so much.
0: Identity Politics is a podcast created by me, Ikhlas Salim.
1: This episode was produced by Ikhlas Salim, Mecca Ali, and Heba Murray. And music is by Ibrahim Azam. Thanks for listening. Till next time.